Happy New Year, everyone. It is time for new things. It is time for a new journey. And for those of us who are, if you're new to our church family, we want to welcome you and say that we are excited because we know from experience the things that God is going to bring into your life and into our lives in this new year. We're going to spend the next three weeks uh, being set free, freeing our mind from ways of thinking that are destroying us. In order to do this journey, there is going to be homework. Um, Not much, but some. And so uh, by the end of this message, you'll want to have a piece of paper or something to write on or a section of your phone where you can write about four sentences to yourself so you can have your your homework. So you want to be ready by the end of the message to have that so you don't scramble when I say, now now it's time for the homework. Okay. Because this morning we're going to talk about money. Don't be dismayed. I, don't, don't be hopeless. There is freedom for you here. There is freedom for you here. God has got your back. Whether you know it or not, if you go on this journey to financial freedom, you are going to see his power and you are going to see his miracles as you have never seen them before and in ways that you can't see them if you don't go on the journey. Why are we talking about financial freedom in church to start a new year? Did Jesus, did Jesus ever talk about money? Absolutely and constantly Verse after verse, chapter after chapter, Jesus sets us free from all of the fear and all of the pain and all of the slavery that mishandling and misunderstanding money puts into our lives. So first thing we want to understand from God's point of view, is money good or evil? Money is, of course, neutral. Money is a tool. It's a means of exchange. Money is actually an invention. And what a wonderful invention it is because before money, there was bartering. And so let's say you make gloves and I make automobiles. How many gloves do you have to give me to get me to give you an automobile? Well, I just need one pair of gloves. So I guess you just get a rear view mirror and you have to find uh, about 650 other automakers to give you all the rest of the pieces that you need. That'll never work. Money is a wonderful invention where you turn your gloves into money. And I turn my automobiles into money. And we just trade the money for the things that we need and then go buy the individual parts from that. What a wonderful invention that is. And it has unleashed on the world an economy that would never have been possible otherwise. That in itself is not not evil. In fact, it's quite wonderful. It's a powerful invention. In fact, so powerful that it creates feelings. Arrogance and shame grow up around money. Fear and false security. Jealousy and pride. It's the the feelings that grow up around money that create the danger. Scripture warns us of this. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 6, it says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's read that again and notice that it didn't say money was evil. It said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, the feelings that grow up around it. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Does money affect our soul? No question. There is no question that money affects our soul. So the word of God in scripture and the word of God revealed to us in Jesus comes to remind us that as we use this powerful tool, money, and all the feelings that begin to grow up around it, we must hang on to our soul. Don't lose yourself. Don't lose sight of what is really important. And above all, above all, in the use of money, do not lose your relationship with God. Free your mind. Money is a topic, along with every other topic now these days, every other topic that turns political very, very quickly. So uh, there is definitely a liberal way of talking about money. There is definitely a conservative way of talking about money so that you don't have to be defensive sitting here until you figured out which one I am. Let me just bring it out. Here at Lakeland, we don't follow donkeys and we don't follow elephants. We follow the risen lamb. We are followers of Jesus here. We don't tow a democratic line on money. We don't tow a Republican line on money. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We come to hear what these scriptures say about these topics and do that. So vote for who you feel like you need to vote for. Do what you need to do out there. But when we come here, we come to learn the ways of Christ Jesus about this. So here at Lakeland Community, we don't demonize money. We don't demonize the rich. We don't give the poor a free walk to sainthood. We also don't worship money. We also don't applaud every form of wealth and consumption as a sign of God's blessing. We don't blame the poor for their own plight or what would be even worse, uh, we don't just ignore the poor. We follow the inspired words of scripture and the way of Jesus when it comes to money and thinking about the wealthy and thinking about the poor. And there's lots of scriptures about that. But our journey this morning will just begin in Proverbs 22, verse 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. So we take not a conservative bent on this topic, not a liberal bent on this topic. We take a radical third way that outside of this sanctuary you might not ever get to hear about again. Where we seek biblical wisdom for understanding what money is and how to use it to honor the God who has given us life and every good gift. Hopefully that disarms some of your fears and cautions. We also don't traffic in guilt here. For some of us, coming to church and talking about money absolutely gives us the creeps. We just know that by the end of the message, we're going to feel guilty. We just know by the end of the message, we're going to feel put down. And that after we hear this sermon, every time we go out and try to buy something for ourselves, that we're going to wish instead we'd given the money to orphans or tornado victims or starving babies in Africa. That's not what this is going to be about. 
Jesus did not come to chain us to guilt all day long. He came to set us free from ways of thinking that put our minds into prison. And we're going to let him this morning free our mind from all of those prisons. We are going to talk about financial freedom this morning in church because God has placed into his word, these scriptures, hundreds of references to financial freedom and money and debt because God knows. He knows how much we rely on money. And he knows how much it can set us free if we think about money clearly and handle money rightly. Before this series is over, you will see dozens of scriptures about uh, where God is guiding us in our financial dealings. And those will represent only a fraction of what there are in this book. We come this morning to seek the abundant life promised by Jesus. I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And to learn what abundance means. Abundance means always having what you need. And it means being content. And it means living in peace. Which brings us to our problem this morning. Some of us, because of sin have gotten all twisted up. We can no longer tell the difference between a need and a want. And we want so many things that we think are needs that we can never be content. And we're discontent so often, always planning, always imagining the worst, living in fear, that then we can never live at peace. The average American household this morning owes over $15,000 in credit cards. Due to compounding interest, it's growing at a rate of $6 a day for each household. The average American household this morning owes over $27,000 in automobile loans. That is growing at a rate of $4 a day. The average household this morning owes over $46,000 in student loan debt, growing at a rate of $9 a day. Now, we're going to stop there with the dismal statistics before we get to mortgages and before we get to America's newest type of mega debt, medical debt. Medical debt is now a statistic that must be tracked in America to understand our debt because it is the leading cause of bankruptcy now in America. If you are an average American, as I hope most of you are, except for this part, uh, just sitting while you sit here at church today, just in the hour you'll be sitting here, you're going to rack up $1.34 more in interest debt. By the end of the week, that will be 226 additional dollars. This stuff is eroding our relationships. Lack of financial freedom erodes marriages. Uh, in all my research, I could no longer find two sources that agree on the most common reasons for divorce. But arguing about money always makes the top five often makes the top three, and on many lists was the number one. Every day, many of us are waking up with money problems and money worries, and it is destroying us. And worse yet, some of us will do things today that will make the problem worse. And worst of all, is that many of us have what we need to solve this problem, and we don't even know it. We come this morning to seek the abundant life promised by Jesus and understand what abundance means. Abundance means always having what you need. 
And it means being content. And it means living in peace. So do you have what you need to take this financial freedom journey? Let's have a reality check. These numbers come from the 2010 census. I have extrapolated them out to uh, 2018 numbers. How much money are we making here in the room? If you live in Lee Summit in 2018, your average household income is probably $81,000. If you live in Blue Springs, $67,000. Pleasant Hill, $61,000. Raytown, $52,000. Greenwood, $75,000. Pastor Dan's going to have to stop making all of his Greenwood jokes. They're now the number two income earners in eastern Jackson County. Average income in the household in the United States, $56,000 a year. Average savings account in America. Here, uh, how much uh, do we have in our average savings account? $5,200. People in our community probably have uh, $5,400 in savings. uh, Savings has become insignificant in America until your income reaches $160,000 a year, at which point it jumps immediately and straight from $5,000 to $50,000. That's how savings works right now. Why are we doing this? Because we need to know and we need to be honest. We can't be having rose-colored glasses and making generalizations that don't fit everyone. If our household is making more than $81,000 a year in this town or more than $52,000 a year in Raytown, then, then it's going to be easier and it's going to be quicker to achieve financial freedom. And if we're making, and we should be making not as many excuses for not having it done. If we're making less than that, then financial freedom will take longer. It will require more focus and creativity. If we're making much less than that, then there are going to be significant challenges to face. We need to be honest about all of that. Ask yourself this question this morning. Are you rich, middle class, or poor? Many of us don't know how to answer this simple question. Are you rich, middle class, or poor? Remember, we had a foreign exchange student. We asked, uh, are you rich, middle class, or poor? Well, middle class. That's what everybody says, middle class. And then she, can, she described to us how a chauffeur took her to school every morning, took her home to her walled compound where her family lived. Like, oh, middle class in Peru is looking pretty good. Why do we ask this question? Because if you're rich, you're definitely going to be able to do this financial freedom thing. And if you're middle class, you can do this financial freedom thing, but it will take some sacrifices. And if you're poor, you can also have financial freedom, but it's going to take some big shifts in thinking, and you will have to ruthlessly eliminate all the bad choices from your life. So which one are you? How hard is this financial journey going to be that we're going to take? Many of us are rich and don't even know it. Now, how do you define rich? Well, we're going to try. We're going to try. You can't just put a number to it. You can't just say, well, how much do you make? Okay, that's rich. Because there's too many variables, right? Well, where do you live? And uh, how many people live with you? And do, do you have children? Do you have a lot of children? Um, do they eat a lot? You know, are you taking, are you taking care of aging parents? How's your health? 
Um, what are some big successes you may still be riding? What are some mistakes you made in the past you're still cleaning up? It, too hard to tell. But let's try this definition. Just tell me if you can go with this. Being poor means most often not having what you need. And being middle class means most of the time having what you need and sometimes a little more. And being rich is always having more than you need. Does that seem fair? Being poor means most often not having what you need. And being middle class means most of the time having what you need and sometimes more. You can do, you can do fun stuff. You can change things up. And being rich means always having more than you need. Okay, is that okay? Can we, a few nods? Now, many of you are poor. Many of you are middle class. You have less than you need, or you have just what you need most of the time, sometimes a little more. But, but how many of you are rich? How many of you almost always have more than you need? Americans hate answering this question, but, but some of you are just that type of person. You don't care. You say anything. So how many people admit to it by show of hands? How many of you are rich? Most of the time, you, you have more than you need. Okay, well, quite a few rich people here. Quite a few rich people here. I, I want to describe... Uh, how rich people live, because a lot of you who, who aren't rich, you're not going to believe this. What it's like to pretty much all the time have, uh, not, almost all the time, have more than you need. Crazy stuff heart starts happening when most of the time you have more than you need. Let, let me just share with you a few stories. When you're rich, you go to the grocery store to buy food. And when you get home, before you can put the new food into the fridge, you have to drag a trash can over to the to it and throw away all the old food you bought two weeks ago but didn't eat. Rich people do that stuff. When you're rich, you cook dinner. You cook so much you can't eat it all. Now, when middle class people do that, they put it in a plastic container and then they eat it tomorrow. Now, rich people also put it into a plastic container, but the next day they look at it and say, I don't want to eat that again. I just had that. And then they just leave it there and throw it away two weeks later. That's, that's how rich people act. Um, some People are so rich, they fully intended to eat it tomorrow, but they lost it in the refrigerator because it got shoved to the back by the addition of more and more plastic containers of food. Their uneaten food was literally hidden by more uneaten food. That's what it's like when you almost always have more than you need. Rich people buy sour cream every time they go to the grocery store only to get home and realize they already have three containers of that stuff. That's what rich people do. Then there's rich people's houses. Rich people call their spouse in the summer and say, hey, the air conditioner is broken and have to answer questions like, which one? Rich people say things like, I need new kitchen countertops. When you say, oh, wow, what happened? They look at you with a totally straight face and say, well, those are 20 years old. They still work. They're still safe. There's nothing wrong with them. They have a few stains, but only they can see them, you know. The color's just outdated and they want some new ones. That's the kind of stuff you can do when you have more than you need. You tear out perfectly good counters and cabinet tops and replace them with new ones because you're bored. Rich people, get ready for this one. They put on a pair of shoes. They look in a mirror and say, these shoes don't go with these pants. Then they walk over to a rack 
of up to six other pairs of shoes and cycle through trying, sometimes, this is crazy, this is the filthy rich, but sometimes up to 12 pairs of additional shoes and cycle through trying them on until they find the one that matches. If they never do, they might just change to a different pair of pants. And if that doesn't work, some of them actually will just go out and buy another pair of shoes. Rich people pay other people to cut their hair. Rich people gamble with their own lives. They give money to this company and the company does nothing. They just pay this company money every month to sit there and do nothing unless the rich person dies. Then the gambling company sends the rich person's family a bunch more money than they paid in, you know, for winning the bet. But if the rich person lives... The company gets to keep all that money just for playing for 40 years. They call it life insurance. It's something rich people do. Rich people have three televisions. Rich people have a car for every person in the house who can drive, and they play that same gambling game. They have a gambling game version just for the cars. And between making a delicious sandwich at home for 50 cents and buying an extremely mediocre sandwich at a drive-thru window for $7, rich people choose the mediocre sandwich several times a week. And when you ask a rich person, why would you buy a $7 mediocre sandwich instead of making a 50 cent sandwich at home? They will tell you they had no choice. They don't have time to make a 50 cent sandwich at home because they have to rush their kids to baseball and basketball and soccer and dance and theater and swimming and horseback riding. And you don't want to know what rich people are paying for those activities that kids used to play in the empty lot down the street for free. That's how people who have more than they need live. That's what it's like, a little peek behind the curtain to be rich. Now, before we move on, just one more question by show of hands. Uh, How many people here are rich? We've got to free our mind from this world's way of thinking about ourselves and thinking about money because it makes all the difference when you wake up in the morning and you can say this, I have more than I need. I am rich. You start chasing financial freedom beginning with that phrase in the morning. Now, it's not true for everybody, but it's true for more than who usually know it. And if you can say that, it can make all the difference. To those to whom it applies, let's say this together. Because this could change everything for you. I have more than I need. I am rich. Because there's a corollary to it. It means this. It means God has given me all I need to have financial freedom. Try that one. God has given me all I need to have financial freedom. There is financial freedom for you here. God has got your back. And that even applies more so to the middle class and to the poor, to whom his scripture constantly says he is very close and always providing. Whether you know it or not, if you go on this journey to financial freedom, you will see his power and his miracles in a way you have never seen them before and in a way you don't get to see them any other way. This is our goal for the next three weeks to change our values and our ways of thinking about money. 
And then to build a spending plan for ourselves and for our family that reflects those values. So now we come to the homework portion. This is where you'll want to write down. I'm just going to give you four things to do this week to begin your financial freedom journey. You can type it in your phone. You can write it down wherever you won't lose it. Number one, assignment one, figure out what you earn. I'm surprised, but lots and lots of people don't actually have any idea what they make. It's just going into an account. So by next week, have a picture of what you make in an average week or average month, whatever works for you. And it goes up and down, so that's why I say average for some of you. Write it down. Now, leave it at home. No one here wants to see that. You won't have to show anybody that. But you need to know. You need to know so that you, you know what you have to work with as you begin your journey toward freedom. Okay, assignment two. Figure out what you're spending to stay out of the cold. Your rent or your mortgage. Figure out what it is and write it down. Assignment three, this will be a little harder. Figure out what you're spending for food. So maybe just save your receipts this week for anything you ate or drank and then then, then multiply it by four for a month or 52 for a year. Or look at your checkbook or credit card statement if you have those types of resources. Or if you're handing out cash, just ask everybody, could you write this on a slip out of paper when you spend this on food? Just do, do a little research to spend that, figure out what you're spending on food of any kind. That could be at the store. That could be school lunch for the kids. That could be at a restaurant, quick trip. I'm afraid you will also have to count Starbucks. I know it's not really food, but there is, it's going in your belly, and you're going to need that info. Okay, number four is probably the hardest, the clothes on your back. What have you spent in the last three months on clothes? Now, if that's too hard, just write down what you would like to spend on clothes. What would you like to spend on clothes in a month or a year? And just write that down because you can adjust all this later. See what we did there? What you make plus food, shelter, clothing. Those are needs. Food, shelter, clothing. And this is where it begins. Now, we're going to add more to it. We're going to add more. There's a lot more to life than that. But we got to get the needs down. Uh, now, at this moment, you've got this homework assignment. What do you make? Food, clothing, and shelter. Um, it would be normal. It would be very normal. I'd be surprised if this weren't the case. Very normal for only one person in, the, in, in a marriage to actually want to do this homework. And the other person to want nothing to do with it. Like, uh-oh, here it comes. This is the bad thing about to happen. That'd be normal. Um, for this week, that's really all you need. You just need one person willing to quietly, you know, figure out what you make and do the food, clothing, shelter thing. It, it, you can't do it just one person forever, but you'll, you can do this first week. Because uh, next week, I want to talk about peace and marriage. I want to talk about aligning our hearts. Now, one caveat, uh, 40% of the households in this community are run by single people. So next week is not, I would not take the week off. Next week is about knowing your own heart and what you're up against within yourself. But this is one of those moments, a lot of single people consider being single to be a drag. But uh, let's celebrate this one thing, that if you want to take a financial uh, freedom journey this morning, you just get to do it. You don't have to consult anybody else. You can go home, do your homework. Nobody's dragging their feet. Nobody's, you know, this is one of those moments. Go ahead and celebrate. You don't have dead weight to drag around. Because uh, these married folks, they're the opposite. If they want to take a financial freedom journey and their spouse does not, DOA is not going to happen. 
All right? So celebrate these little things along the way. So definitely come to know your own heart. But next week, we do need to give these marriage folks some help. Because for you married folks, is one of you in the marriage uh, often accused of being too controlling with the money? Is one of you often accused of being an irresponsible spender? There is wisdom here in these scriptures and in this church to help you sort that out. And I will give you a spoiler alert. Neither of you next week is going to be told you're wrong. Neither of you is going to be told you need to straighten up. You're going to learn that you're both bringing something of value to the marriage and you can make a spending plan that honors what both of you are bringing and what both of you are valuing. Um, there are sins that the, uh, the controlly, budgety type person can do where they use it as a sinful way to control their spouse. That, that's, a, that's a thing. So there's something you're both bringing that God put there and we're going we're gonna to bring that out. Okay, there is freedom for you here. God has got your back, even if it seems hopeless this morning. How often has these scriptures shown us the God who brings hope from hopelessness? Amen? Amen. This moment where he has our back is proclaimed each week in the meal of communion, where he comes to remind us he is here. He is present in this moment. If our servers will come forward. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then he said, this cup is my blood of a new promise poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Now, a lot of our financial problems are caused by sin, let's be honest. But this is not a God who says, well, you, you made your bed, you have to sleep in that now. He says, I come and pour out my blood to forgive you. I want to make a new way for you. Come, I mean, make a new way for you. So when you receive this bread and this uh, cup, you are receiving a reminder of his promise that he's here and he's ready to begin. He's forgiven you for all that stuff in the past and wants to make it new. And it's a beautiful moment. He's given us this prayer to pray, the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's stand and pray this prayer together. And listen, even in this prayer, how he put a little line, you'll find it, about his willingness to provide. It has a little financial freedom feel to it when he provides for us. Let us, let us pray this prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. Glory to God whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.